blue wire. Think about Lois. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Dodge the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. What is up, friends, and welcome into episode 184 of Press Pass. Kaylee Anderson, joined by my co-host Joshua Perry, celebrating his year anniversary at the Rally on Valley. I cannot believe it's been a year. I remember when we kind of announced it on this show to check your new show out, and then a year later, here we are. What's that like? Yeah, time flies. I'll put it like that. Um, it's been certainly a fun year. I was uh, pushed outside of my comfort zone in a lot of ways because it's not just being an analyst and it's not just football. There's some hosting duties involved, and we're talking about everything that pops up in the world of sports. But um, it's been a lot of fun. I'm fortunate and grateful, and I'm looking forward to some more good shows over there on the rally. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. When it comes to kind of what you've done so far in your broadcasting career. And let's not forget, you're not like super far removed from your playing days. So Mm -hmm. you're still fairly new in the broadcast world of things. And so then you take on a gig like this, you're talking, like you said, not just football. I mean, you're talking all sports. And that's what I kind of enjoyed seeing you do is expand your horizon when it comes to the knowledge of sports in general, because I think the more you know about multiple sports and you can have conversations about any subject, that's to me, the invaluable broadcaster. Yeah. I mean, you know exactly how it is because you've, you've done a bunch of different roles in many places and you've talked about everything, but um, it's certainly a grind uh, getting the information and making sure that you're accurate and on point all the time, but it's a lot of fun. And I feel like my horizons have been broadened. We've talked to different guests and, and different athletes from different sports, too. And that's always a joy for me um, is being able to highlight their journeys and what's going on there. But, uh, you know, speaking to a national audience has also been a lot of fun. And, you know, like you said, it just sharpens the edge. Like you get mm-hmm. so much better at so many different things. And so I'm that's the thing that I've been most excited about is I feel like over the last year, I've just become a better broadcaster. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, congratulations again on that, my friend. Let's turn to some college football because I know the season is over, but the fun just continues to roll on. And I know at this point, um, we're going to kind of touch on the Senior Bowl in a little bit. I know that starts to more focus on the pro level because it's these college kids now transitioning to what they hope will be a successful NFL career. So we'll touch on that. Uh, But let's start with the big deal that got done for the Tennessee Volunteers head coach, Josh Heupel, just this week, coming off uh, his best season as a head coach and really the best season that the Vols have had in two decades. Josh Heupel been rewarded with a contract extension, Joshua, that will pay him $9 million per year. That's a raise of $4 million, and that puts him fifth among SEC head football coaches, the only higher paid coaches, Alabama's Nick Saban, Georgia's Kirby Smart, Texas A&M's Jimbo Fisher, which I want to laugh about, and mm-hmm. LSU's Brian Kelly. Your thoughts on the pay raise? 
Well, he deserves it. Uh, you talked about the success that they had. You're right down there in the thick of it. And so you've been hearing about it. But uh, what they were able to put together, um, not only developing current players, but leveraging the portal and really building a system down there. I think that he's deserving um, to beat Alabama, I think, was a huge deal as well. Um, and I know that's kind of the litmus test down there in the SEC. It's probably going to shift over to beating Alabama and Georgia. Um, different conversation for a different day. But that's right where he needs to be. And he's earned a lot of my respect for the way that he's built. I'm also excited for this next step without Hendon Hooker. And that was a player that me and you both talked about this time last year as a yeah. guy who who was going to be one of the best in college football. Um, you were a little bit closer to the situation than me. We both hit on that. And I want to start talking about Joe Milton. I watched him when he was in the Big Ten. Absolutely. Certainly looked underdeveloped, but he had the frame. He had the arm. Um, you can tell he's got the athleticism. And under Josh Heupel, I think that he is going to absolutely flourish. So now you're starting to see not just a team that he built, but a program is building down there. And that's why you pay a coach like that. Um, him being paid less than Jimbo, you can't do anything about that. Jimbo is so overpaid right now. It's wild. But when you talk about Saban and you talk about Kirby and then really what um, Brian Kelly did year one at LSU, Josh Heupel needs to be in that conversation as one of the best coaches down there. And uh, final thing I'll say, the money down the SEC goes crazy because you're talking about fifth highest paid at $9 million. Good God, they are getting paid down there. I know, right? I mean, it is just – and that, again, why we keep on saying good for these guys that are doing their NIL deals because yep. sure as hell these coaches are getting paid, and that's a fact. Right. Um, Let's talk about it real quick before yeah, well, we move on. Yeah, because I know you, you probably know. have advice or advice thoughts on this. I got all the tangents when it comes to this stuff. It's <laughs> like people right now are killing that kid, Jane Rashada, who uh, went, went down to um, Florida with the idea that he was going to get $13 million. And then yep. he decides that he wants to ask out of his um, letter of intent because that money wasn't real. And they're like, well, you know, this is what he deserves. And these kids are chasing money. And, uh, you know, the college football is different. And nah, nah, nah. Nobody was saying a damn thing when the coaching salary started to explode because I remember uh, a decade ago, my freshman year at Ohio State, Urban Meyer was the highest paid coach in the Big Ten at $4 million a year. And that is the absolute basement in the Big Ten right now. That's, that is the the in-the-door price for a Big Ten coach right now. Um, and nobody over that decade was crying about how coaching salaries were absolutely exploding but the players weren't seeing any of it. And so, yeah, as these coaches' salaries go crazy – I totally understand it. Those guys, go get your money. But I want to keep that same energy when it comes to the players going out there and getting their thing too because these coaches don't get paid if the players don't show up and play. Right. Yes. And I don't I don't fault the kid at all. I know everybody has their opinions on that, but you know, I'm I'm more so saying Florida, you better get your stuff together. Mm. Because right now, that Florida program is not looking great. And I know that they've got a new head coach. So you're, you're trying to get things headed in the right direction. But you cannot – one thing you got to make sure if you're if you're one of these big universities and NIL is, is what you're promising big numbers to, to some of these top recruits, you better make sure that th that's there. That it's if it's being promised, then it needs to be given to the kids wherever, you know, however you chop it up or whatever you do. But I mean, that's the thing. Like you can't be promising these kids these deals and then it's just kind of half assing it. 
That's the wild west about it because, you know, the rules down to the letter of the law say that there's no pay for play and these kids can't sign a contract until they're in the program. But then you see people offering them money like the collective's not even supposed to be involved in that stage in the game. And so that's how you get into this. So not only do the schools need to get it together, and I think there needs to be more oversight on on some of the actions here. Um, but these, I feel like there needs to be a conversation about adults trying to take advantage of kids because that's what's happening in this situation. The only person really getting hurt is a kid. Yep, I agree. Speaking of um, just the coaching carousel, I don't think that it will be likely now that Jim Harbaugh comes off that carousel and hops onto the NFL wheel because it looks like after flirting with the NFL again, and we talked about it on our last episode, Harbaugh has decided that he's uh, okay with staying at Michigan and he's going to be there. Like Joshua, I know you like the guy. Look, I, I, I don't, I don't hate Jim Harbaugh. However, he drives me up the wall every off season He's doing this tiptoeing into the NFL arena and just let these kids know that their coach is coming back with without crossing the line. Yeah, this one's a tough one uh, because I think he's a hell of a coach. I think that he is um, a very unique personality. And so, you know, he's an acquired taste in a lot of ways. Um, the the players on the roster absolutely love them. And it shows by the way that they play and they support his coach, their coach. Um I agree with you on the carousel thing. I think there's only so many times you're going to be able to cry wolf um, before you're going to need to stop doing it. At the same time, I understand where he's at. Now, here's the the unique part about him coming back is he still doesn't have a contract yet, a new contract. And there's rumors about what the numbers could look like and what the details of the contract would be. I think that you can make a case both ways on whether you make him the highest paid coach in the Big Ten or not. Um, because you had basically, you know, seven or eight seasons of a sample size of of what he is, and that's more of a ten win coach who hadn't beaten Ohio State and is going to lose in the postseason. Then you've got this two year sample size of a coach who's going to win you twelve or thirteen games in a year, beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten. He hasn't gotten the postseason thing figured out quite yet. And last time he won the postseason, I believe, was twenty sixteen. 2015, excuse me, his first year there at Michigan. So uh, you can make a case for either, but he doesn't have the contract yet. And so what needs to happen is they get that deal done. The buyout for Jim to leave needs to be inordinately high. The biggest issue I see with that is we know how the NFL works. If they want a coach, they'll pay the buyout. These owners are swimming in money. It's it's no object to them. Um, So that's the, the unique thing about it. Oh, by the way, the NCAA thing still isn't sorted out. Oh, by the way, one of his assistant coaches they had to let go. He's under investigation by the police department for some computer crimes. Like, it's a weird spot because he's had so much success these last two years. And we all know he's a great coach and Michigan should want him back. But when you start diving into the details of a new contract and what what the road ahead looks like in that specific regard – um, understanding also that the relationship between him and the AD Ward manual has started to break down. Um, this is a very curious case, and I don't know if I've quite seen something like this. Um, so I'm going to be monitoring very closely. But okay. one thing I will say kind of to end this off, and I know you probably agree with it, football in the Big Ten 
in football nationally is much better when Michigan plays football the way that yeah. they've played it the last two years. 100%. No doubt about it. We had this talk about iron sharpening iron on mm-hmm. our Ramon, Kayla, and Will show here in Nashville on radio. And where can they find the show? Yeah, they can find it on the 104.5 app, and you can listen to us from 6 to 10 a.m. We will bring and you're streaming all. on Twitter, right? We are streaming on Twitter. If you actually want to see our lovely faces that bright and early in the morning, you can catch us. Um, but yeah, we were having that conversation, Joshua, how iron sharpens iron. And sometimes as much as fans don't want teams in a conference or teams in a division to, to be better, it's a good thing. Um, and especially, you know, I know Ohio State hasn't beaten Michigan in the last couple of years, but you have had so many years where Michigan's been down and I was there Mm -hmm. covering the team when it was down. You were there playing when Michigan was down. It's like it, it it doesn't bring much to the table and it definitely doesn't make the conference stronger as a whole. Yep. And, And I think that last part is the one that I'm really interested in because as I see it right now, and I think we all agree with this SEC is the power conference when it comes to college football. Um, the national titles basically all come from the South. And we see what Kirby's doing. We see what Saban's been doing. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, I feel like Brian Kelly's really building a program. We talked about Josh Heupel. Um, you know, what's Hugh Freeze going to do over there at Auburn? I think that's sure. a situation that people need to monitor. Also, the South Carolina thing um, oh, with yeah? Shane Beamer. Like, I don't know if enough people are talking about them because I think that they're, they're not going to be one of the top teams. But that's a, a team that's going to add really good depth to that conference and really challenge some teams there toward the top end. Um, the Big Ten is is in an opportunity right now because Michigan's humming. They got a lot of guys returning, and they've had success. Ohio State's going to continue to be Ohio State, and they have a lot of guys returning on both sides of the football. They need to figure out the quarterback. They got a couple openings across the offensive line, but they got a, a team that's returning that stacked. Penn State's going to be nice this upcoming season. They got that young quarterback, Drew Aller. They've got two really good running backs. They got some young guys who played a ton on defense. And then you look over in the West and you got Luke Fickle taking over at Wisconsin. Two head coaches. We we know Luke Fickle. We know how good of a coach he is. He's killing it in the portal. He's hired great coordinators. His staff is coming together. Oh, and then there's Matt Rule who yep. I think can coach his tail Me off. Too. And we know he can Me build too. a program because he did it down at Baylor. Yep. So this is where the Big Ten can really start to build that top end and then that second level depth within the conference to say that we are going to challenge the SEC because the way that Ohio State finished, even though they lost, and the way that Michigan finished, even though they lost, two Big Ten teams in the college football playoff, Penn State, winning a Rose Bowl, like this is where it's like, okay, can the Big Ten really start to say that we are in the same class as the SEC? Yeah, I don't think that that's that's a bad thing to throw out there, especially with the additions of those two head coaches specifically because those are two coaches in the college game that have kind of proven like they've got that it factor to build a program and to find success. And now – you know, both of them in the Big Ten are really powerful, powerful conference right there with the SEC. So I, I think you're right on um, with that notion. Okay, let's switch over to something that I love to talk about every single year. 
And I had only been privileged to go to this one time in my broadcasting career. And that was when I was a baby broadcaster in Montgomery, Alabama at the age of like 20. Oh my gosh, four maybe. And I remember the first time they were like, all right, you're going to the senior bowl, Kayla. And, you know, every Alabama and Auburn player that we covered that was invited there, you know, we had the the privilege of covering. And the one thing that I remember and that was years ago. I'm not going to date myself, but that was a long time ago, Joshua. All I remember is how cool it was because it was so laid back. You could literally just after practice go up to the field, ask questions to whoever you wanted. The coaches were out there. The NFL coaches just kind of hanging out. You're you're just like in this atmosphere with all these big time people. And it just seemed so cool and laid back. And I'm wondering from a player's perspective, is that kind of what you would tell, you know, somebody that it's like, obviously there's a lot of work involved, but compared to something like the combine, which I've heard is very opposite. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's ramped up at the senior bowl. Um, certainly not to level the combine. The combine is, is a miserable experience. Like, People talk about that as, oh, your first entry into the NFL. And it's like, oh, it's such a great experience. It's it's not. It fucking stinks. Um, so I just wanted to make that very clear. The Senior Bowl certainly is stressful. You've got practices and they really get to watch you run around and see you uh, in contact drills and to see you in individual drills and, um, you know, seven on sevens and in team drills. So it, you're playing real football. That's that's a place of comfort. Um, but it's so informal that you can become bogged down with all the meetings from the different teams. Like I had, uh, you know, people working in personnel departments coming up to me from basically every team. And they're like, Hey, just wanted to get a minute with you. Hey, just want to get a minute with you. I'm like, damn, I'm trying to drink a Gatorade right now. I want to talk to you. Um, I did want to talk to all of them, but you know what I'm saying? It's um, so it's definitely like a, a small taste of what the process is like. I think it is really good, too, in that environment to get FaceTime with some of the, the people working in personnel within the NFL, because I think they're a lot less guarded um, at the combine. Those guys are busy as all hell, too. So I know that they're under a lot of stress. And so for sure. them, this feels like a, a different environment for them to, to be maybe a little bit more casual. Um, so to me, I love the event. I got hurt when I was there, so I had to I leave did. early. Um, but it was it was like, you know, it was that one last shot to really wear your college helmet and to um, represent your school in that regard. And then the other thing, too, like just to, to get a little bit of face time for the first time with people that are making a decision about your future was really cool. Yeah, no, I I think that it's always interesting because everybody has such different stories. I know we tell this story on here all the time. We've been doing this podcast together for like a few, almost a few years. That's just, yeah, it's been a little while. That is nuts to think about. And remember the first time you kind of came on as a guest, I talked about how Terry McLaurin's, you know, experience at this is just a prime example of where you can raise your draft stock. I mean, that is what he literally did at the senior bowl. That is when his draft stock started to rise because Joshua, when he was at Ohio state and you played with him, I was there covering him. Like there was so much talent there that he kind of just got like 
boggled down by everybody in front of him. And he wasn't ever really to like able to showcase like this is what I can be in the NFL until something like the senior bowl came along. Yeah. I mean, it was, he had a really unique time because he was a captain at Ohio state and everybody right. knew that he was a good player, but maybe he didn't have the the pop and the sizzle and the flash of yeah. some of the other guys out there. And so he kind of flew under the radar. Like we watched him make a million plays, but he wasn't going to be the hottest name sure. until you watch the kid work out in person. Then you're like, Oh man, this guy's a really, really good football player. Sure. And then they, they, you know, people finally got to talk to him and you're like, Oh, this is a really well put together yep. kid. Like he's sharp. Um, He's very mature. He's a guy who understands football. He's a guy who understands how to be a teammate and a leader. And I think that's what really did it for him. Like putting Terry McLaurin into a legitimate football environment for a week, I think is what people needed to see. Because I don't even think that him testing well at the combine would have done it justice right. the way that actually playing the game did for him. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that why this is so unique and this experience for a lot of these guys is so unique. And I think it is also starting to garner a lot more attention, you know, nationally. Like the Senior Bowl is starting to become a thing. You know, we we have our show going on the road um, this next week to the Senior Bowl, which we're ecstatic about because it's our first kind of trip that we're going to do our broadcast live from. But um, it's we've heard from other media people that are going down and they're like, Oh, you better get your stuff booked early. Cause like people are starting to come down and do this as like a, a trip, you know, every year because you're able to have the access and kind of see things and, and talk to some of these future um, possible NFL stars. But you're right, Joshua, like him having that stage in, in terms of like, the people that got to meet him and got to see just his personality on top of his skills, it, it just all kind of worked together. One question about the the senior bowl and just, I guess, what positions are you really able to see maybe guys flourish at a little more than others? I would guess it's like wide receiver, defensive backs. Like, is there certain positions that can kind of show a little bit more? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I think there's a benefit for pretty much every position out there. Like quarterbacks throwing routes on air doesn't necessarily tell me a lot. Like it's right. a controlled environment. They're all scripted. I want to see you throw into windows. I want to see you throw with anticipation. Um, I want to see you process. And like even that is hard for quarterbacks because they're not blitzing and doing all those different things. So you don't get to see the full complement. Um, for wide receivers and defensive backs, you're 100% correct. Like, you know, I can watch you – turn and run as a defensive back. And I can tell a lot about your athletic skill and maybe um, how you project, but watching you in a one-on-one -on -one drill, when the ball is in the air, how you react, watching you tackle on the edge when the play is coming at you as a defensive back. Um, similarly for wide receivers, do you block on run plays? Um, you know, do you run all of your routes hard? What does your route tree actually look like against coverage? Can you read different coverages? Because, you know, a lot of these times in these offenses, they get option routes. So you see one coverage, you run a certain route, you see another coverage, you're supposed to do something different. Um, in man-to-man, -man, you keep running in zone, you sit down. Like, are, are guys able to process that kind of stuff? But I think the biggest guys that can benefit from the Senior Bowl is the big guys up front because on either yeah. side of the football, okay. it's inherently physical and nothing that you do at the combine or that you do in pro day 
is physical. You don't have to hold the point at the point of attack as a, a, a nose guard or a three technique on a double team. As an offensive lineman, like I can watch you in the drills where they simulate you pulling around the edge, but like when it's time to fit up a blocker, can you do it or are you going to whiff and miss on a guy um, and potentially you know let the play be tackled at the line of scrimmage instead of having to play that creases for 15 yards? Um, so I think for, for big guys, it's a huge opportunity because – you I you can evaluate and you can project, but like I, I have to watch you play football yeah. uh, as a big guy to really know. Like I can I can watch a wide receiver or defensive back in drills and be like, oh, this guy now he might have a little something, and then I can confirm it on the tape. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't watch the drills on an offensive lineman and be completely comfortable. It's the opposite way around. I need to watch you play and then I'll confirm some of the things I think I know based off of the drills. One more question before we go, because there is a little bit of interest down here in Tennessee. Y'all know what that offensive line looked like this year. It was a bunch of cheeks. Okay. So Hmm. order of business, first order of business is, is probably shoring up, you know, that line. And that means taking probably a tackle offensive tackle early on with their 11th pick. If they can get one, a name floating out there is Ohio State's Paris Johnson. What do you know about the guy? I'm here for it. Um, he's a, a wonderful human being. Um, I think he's smart. He's got a big heart. He's a great leader. Um, so the intangibles are all there just in terms of type of human, which to me, if you're drafting in the first round, like I think that you need to know that you're getting a, a solid yes. person because you don't, you don't want to whiff on a guy because he gets in trouble off the field. Like, there, you miss on evaluation so often anyway that the last thing you want to say is, well, God, we miss the fact that this guy is an absolute dope. Oh, you um, mean Isaiah Wilson with their first well, pick a couple years ago? Oh, yeah. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like, you can't draft a dope. Um, so he's not that. Here, here's the, the unique thing about it is me personally, I thought Paris was soft. I, I thought okay. he was. I thought that he was more of a finesse player on the offensive line. Got he's got great movement skill. Um, he's a big body, so he could body position people a lot of times blocking. I didn't think that he had enough grit. I didn't think that at the point of attack, he really finished plays. And then I watched him this year and I was like, God, I got to eat my words. I'm so wrong about this guy. Wow. I think that he is a tough freaking guy. And he he showed that in a lot of situations this past year where he finished plays and, and he yeah. he was putting the clamps on guys. Um, and so based off of that alone, I, I think that he's 100% a first-round pick. He's got all the athleticism. He's got the movement skill. He's got everything you want out of a big guy. But he's also got that grit now and that edge. And I know that Mike Vrabel loves a guy with some edge. He loves a tough nut. Um, And so that's what he would get. The other tackle that I know a lot of people are looking at that I'm very familiar with here in Big Ten land is Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern. Yep, that's what Um, I'm talking about. And so Peter, I think, is a um, a good player as well, obviously. I have questions about him in terms of body type because he feels to me a little bit more like a, a tweener for a guard or a tackle. I'm not sure that he's like a full-on tackle body. Um, I also think that just from a physical standpoint – he could develop a little bit more. Okay. Um, I think he's going to be a great pro. I'm not trying to knock the kid at all. He's he's a surefire first-round pick. 
Um, but I think I have just slightly more questions about the build than I do with a guy like Paris. Now, maybe when they do the combine and he weighs in, they get all of his measurements just from having eyeballed him. Like maybe I just didn't see it uh, right. So, you know, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. Um, I respect the hell out of both of those players. I think both of them are going to be really good pros. Um, so there, there you go. I, I think those are two guys that you probably want to have on your draft board. Dude, could you have NPF, Nicholas Petit Frere, and then freaking uh, Paris? Paris? I mean, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, how is how's Nicholas doing down there? I'll, I'll tell you this much. First of all, love the kid. Um, such a a brain like yes such a a, a, a different type of of brain right and a yeah. great kid um he's just so, so cerebral like he's mm-hmm. always like you can tell he's always thinking and yeah. honestly like he won the job this year like he beat out dylan radens a guy that's been here for two years he beat him out as a rookie and we all didn't think like that he would possibly be the starter coming in day one, which a lot of their rookies had to be starters this year, which I think is a good thing because now you got a year under your belt. Honestly, Joshua, overall, there wasn't a lot of bad stuff to say about MPF. Like he, for the most part, did his job. Like, is there room for improvement? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But this guy, for what it's worth as a rookie, I think did a really solid job. And that is not an easy thing to do, mind you, when you had that offensive line moving parts throughout the entire season. Yeah. Including your center that ended up being out for a majority of the end of the season because a concussion and he ended up on IR. So I'll, I'll give him a lot of credit. We were pretty impressed with him. Yeah, I know he had it tough down there, obviously, coming in early and in, in the troubles that they had uh, on the offensive line certainly didn't help probably in development. Like my biggest thing with him was a similar thing that I say, and this is how I feel about most offensive linemen. They're, they are even at the top end. I think they're development projects because it's so different in the trenches in the league. Sure. Um, and so if you can come into a place that has a like super solid veteran that can kind of like really take – a young player at the offensive line position under their wing, I think it really helps. Um, but to your point, when you're as cerebral as he is, I think that speeds up the rest of the process. So yeah. I'm glad to hear that things went solid for him. And don't worry, I made him feel right at home when I went over there and chatted with him about the Ohio State, you know, this and that. He knew that I covered, I made that very clear. You know, I love it. I you got to make the you got to make the guys feel like they're at home. You do. You got to make that connection. So that was fun. It's been fun covering them this year, and I think that would be pretty cool. But you know, who knows what will happen? Um, but it should be fun. And Paris is down at the Senior Bowl as well, right? Both the uh, I believe so. I think he, it. I I can't remember if the Northwestern um alignment is, but I think that Paris Johnson was invited. And I want to make sure that I'm right on that, but because um, that's somebody that we were definitely going to uh, try to talk to. Maybe he wasn't senior bowl. And then I don't think uh, Skaronsky. I'm surprised. I think he was Paris an early entrant. Oh yeah, um, yeah. He he's going. Paris is going. Yeah. 
I think Paris is going. Yeah, I think Skaronsky yeah. uh, is uh, an early entrance, so he certainly won't be down there. So he but um, like I said, a guy like Paris, man, just getting down there, that's huge. You'd be able to actually play football. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, it's, it, it, it's, uh, it's going to be fun. We'll keep you posted uh, on everything here on Press Pass Podcast. We'll probably uh, do something the week after the combine, just kind of break it all down and, and catch you guys up on everything that happened. So make sure to tune in. Where can they go to find you on the social media platform? Find me at RIP underscore JEP on the Twitter and the Instagram. And check out the rally on Valley. What that's every every day from the Central Times and all the times screw me up. So Four to five thirty Central, five to six thirty Eastern. There you go. And you can follow me at Kayla Anderson TV. Check me out in the mornings on Ramon, Kayla, and Will on 104.5 The Zone. We also stream on Twitter. And we appreciate you guys as always. We'll be back for another episode of Press Pass Podcast very soon.